and welcome to Season 3, Episode 23 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we take you back through all of human history and give you lessons that you can learn from the mistakes that stupid people make so that you never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans, and we like making mistakes. And today, boy, do we have some really interesting stuff for you honestly so it's going to be a slightly dark episode but also so many lies uh <laughs> it's going to be a lie-filled episode joining me as ever is my amazing co-host derek derek how are you doing my man i'm doing good it's uh it's been an awesome couple of days because it was like raining here and it hasn't because you know the desert and i've been fully taking advantage of it i've even got the you know hoodie going on here nice. so Full fall weather. I'm excited. It's that is really wonderful. Fall in Arizona. Finally, it's been it's been a millennia or two since you guys had this kind of weather. But you know, uh, feels like it. Yeah, um, Kimberly. Thanks for dropping by. Good afternoon, Toasterzoid. Thank you for dropping by. This podcast is my Roman Empire. I get that reference because I'm in tune with the younger generation, uh, sort of. Uh, not really, but um, yeah, Kimberly. We were talking about beforehand. We are sorting out your issue, and we're going to send you a special treat for um, having such a poor delivery. So we're just sorting out the ins and outs of that. I need to find a specific graphic file that I can send to Derek so that he can print something off to send to you. But um, if you can get in touch with us on uh, our Instagram account, and send us your post information so that we can send you something as a present for uh, Patreon screwing up so badly, we'll sort that out. Speaking of which, if you would like to support the podcast financially, because we'd like to make this full time, I think we enjoy doing it. Um, they're sending shavings of Lev's beard. That's not what's happening. I'm sending toenails. Um, no, that's not happening either. So... Uh, so if you would like to support us financially, um, go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots, where you can support us financially and get a bunch of really cool presents that generally work, except in Kimberly's case, where we have to sort things out. But also you get behind the scenes stuff, you get uh, scripts, you get access to stuff that happens in our lives from day to day. Um, and also uh, I want to give a big shout out, not just to Kimberly, but our other Patreons as well, Andrew Zavara and Jesse Christ, our OG Patreon. So thank you all so much for supporting us financially. It means the world to us, and we would love to make this full time. So if you can find 10,000 or so of your friends to come in on that, we'd be super grateful. Um, but yeah, and if you would like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter slash X at Greatest Idiots because somebody stole the full at history's greatest idiots and they've been inactive for so long i wonder if they've been deleted yet um mm. and on instagram you can follow us on uh, at history's greatest idiots and also search for us on youtube at history's greatest idiots where most of our videos are but not all because that's for the patreons so boom yeah sold <laughs> look at me doing the call to action i got this down now so derek oh, man. yeah you mentioned fall we've we've had um, it's been a. I think I mentioned that um, last time we recorded an episode, Bonfire Night had just been, and it was Diwali, and we had a bunch of like. As I was recording the episode with you, and I couldn't say it well necessarily while we were live on air. Literally, a door down, like next door, and then another one. Someone had a massive fireworks display in their garden, so I was reading my stuff 
while there were fireworks literally in front of my fucking window, you know, inches from my face. It's kind of weird. Wow. So, I didn't even notice. Well no, that, played, that, sir. Yes, thank you so much to Heil um, for providing such an excellent microphone that couldn't pick up a massive fireworks display outside my window. It was quite something, but no disturbances in, in the way of fireworks tonight, thankfully. But um, so there's kind of an interesting twist on this one. Um, Derek's going you, you're going to be talking about an English explorer. Now, we had a brief conversation about this before the episode. There are a lot of English explorers explorers who have done terrible things you know how like people criticize christopher columbus for the awful shit he did they were still doing that like 400 years later so yeah yeah i think it's, we're it's about to learn here. about one of those <laughs> <laughs> please tell me about your idiot for this week please well because it's like just about thanksgiving here or just was we're, or it's nowhere near Thanksgiving, depending on when you're listening to it or how you're listening to it or whatever. Thanksgiving is either just been or it's on the horizon or it's somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But so I wanted to do something about like explorers and settlers and Native Americans. And that brought me to the story of Squanto, which I think most Americans are familiar with. And I'm not sure how in-depth people eh, dive into that sort of history in schools around the globe. But it's kind of a neat thing that I started to learn in my older years that a lot of the stuff I learned growing up was just kind of bullshit. Wow. Um, like Squanto wasn't even like really his name. Really? It, it was uh, to Squantum. Oh, and okay. there's, it's close. There's just a lot of it <laughs> was, if not outright made up the history, it was just kind of like a super shined up turd to make right. things not look so bad. Like, sure. One of the things that I, I never really questioned, but uh, they never really talked about, like, how was it that there were Native Americans here on this continent across the ocean when they first arrived that spoke English? Hmm. Yeah. Weird, right? They must have just Very picked weird. it up along the way somehow. Yeah, it just happened, you know? Yeah, I figure history is best observed with all of the ugly bits included. I think that helps us to stop from doing the nasty bits over and over and over again. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, we we're just the same as we've always been with cooler tech. Who am I kidding? Anyway, <laughs> so I wanted to tell everybody the story of an English explorer, ship captain Thomas Hunt, who dabbled in exploring and a little bit of abduction and slave trading. But he did this one uh, good thing, quotey fingers, I guess, and it helped the pilgrims have English-speaking Native Americans to communicate when they struggled and landed on the American East Coast in 1620. Okay. So Captain Thomas Hunt, um, yeah. <laughs> have we, have and we I wanted to rhyme right there, but I just didn't. Yeah, I, think, I was going to say, this is Cockney rhyming slang <laughs> for what this guy behaved like, I think. Yep, I was going to go, but now I'm just going to wander off. I'm just going to say... Uh, it, it's uncertain who his parents were and much of his biography is questionable. Oof. I'll say that I did my best with the limited resources and mental resources and faculties that I'm working with here uh, to cobble some things together for everybody. But uh, 
It's believed he was born in England sometime around 1958. Uh, around Sorry, did you say 1958. Excuse me. Aha, see, limited <laughs> mental faculties. 1598. Right. Um, okay. I'm juggling the, the numbers. So okay. he, he was born in England around 1598, sometime uh, around the age of 14. He made his way to Jamestown, Virginia, and it's not really until he's around 20 that his story really matters or anything comes to light that's his expedition in 1614 when he becomes the captain of one of the ships involved in an exploration of the new england coastline along with some dude by the name of john smith oh you might okay might know that name right yeah oh pocahontas disney that's another bullshit story that's nothing like what they told us that poor woman uh yeah (laughs) she had a terrible life bless Speaking of lies, like my childhood is all lies. Like everything they told me was like yeah. just half truths and full of shit. Yeah, my wife turned to me the other day because um, we we were just like getting up because we we've got American friends that live over in the UK and they still obviously celebrate Thanksgiving. And she just turned to me and she was she just looked at me and she went, "What do you think about Thanksgiving?" Hmm, like that, like. <laughs> It's like, uh, I think she was going, are you aware of the stories? I'm like, yeah, you know, read up on history. It's sad and terrible. So, yeah, uh, unfortunately, there is a lot of that in history. And it's the same in our stuff. Like Guy Fawkes Night, that poor fucker was killed for trying to, you know, put down a a repressive government. And then they made a, a humiliating kind of thing over him. And now you get a penny for the guy and you make him look rancid and all of that stuff like this guy was a revolutionary but yeah so anyway it's our childhood is a lie it's weird the things you don't know but everybody loved the movie v for vendetta though yes which is a great film that alan moore hated disowned and then disowned every single project that hollywood ever made of his work so that man is living in diminished yeah he refused to have his name or take any money for like V for Vendetta, From Hell, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Watchmen, the Watchmen TV series. Um, basically, everything that he's ever written that's been, he's like, this is shit and I don't want anything to do with it. So fuck you. And now he lives in diminished capacity because he could be living in a massive mansion, but actually he's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to keep my own counsel and write my comic books and you can all fuck off. And that's basically my Alan Moore impression. All right. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I res- like. I kind of like. I admire and respect that. Oh yeah, he's he's yeah. he's also a, a nightmare to work with. But he does not let anyone give him money for shit adaptations. He's like, "Fuck you! I'll just keep my own money from comics." <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There we go. All right. So anyway, uh, Captain Thomas Hunt and this John Smith fellow, they're exploring along the East Coast there, the New England coast in 1614. uh, When John decides he needs to go back to England for some reason real quick, and he just kind of says, hey, Thomas, I need you to stay here, pick up some supplies and shit, uh, trade with the natives, and uh, bring those supplies back to the colony. And then he just kind of fucked off back to England and left Thomas to do his own thing. Sure. Well, his own thing turned out to be kidnapping Native Americans and selling them as slaves, which is totally what he told them to do, right? Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, we sure this guy is an Errol, Errol Flynn? Um, because he <laughs> fucking did that. Uh, yeah. That's that's quite a leap, isn't it? Like trade, do the you know capitalist thing, 
but actually he just took it one stage further and he was like, I'm going to make as much money and cause as much suffering as possible. That's disgusting. Right. And, and by this point, there had already been interactions and trading and they were aware of each other's presence. So right. it wasn't like uh, they didn't know who each other were. So when Thomas Hunt captured 27 Native Americans by luring on board the ship under the guise of trading with him, and then once he had him on board, his crew subdued him and confined him below the decks, and there were people that saw him sail off with him, like word kind of got around, and it, it wasn't really great for relations from there. But I'll talk about that in a minute. So he's got these 27 um, captured individuals that he sails off to Spain, and then he sells them off at the slave market. And that's where the story of Squanto uh, ties into here. One of those people taken was to Squantum. And for the next five years, he lived a turbulent life as a slave in Spain and then as an employee of a wealthy English merchant for a little while, Sir John Slaney. Okay, so he was essentially freed. After kind of. a little bit. Essentially. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, 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 sorry, we've interrupted the podcast. There's a conversation going on in the comments about the film Pocahontas, and Tostasoid has just said, I will not lie, John Smith made me question my sexuality. I'm assuming that's from the film Pocahontas. Uh, Pocahontas the cartoon? Yes. The cartoon. You, you quite liked yourself a little bit of floppy hair, John Smith, from the cartoon. That's it fine. Had to be the cartoon. Thank it had you. to be the yes. cartoon. Yes, it was. I think he toasted like that's fine. That's what Disney's for, making people question their sexuality. So, Derek, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tesquantum's living in Spain as a slave for a little while, and then mm. um, for a, a wealthy English merchant, and then he works later for, as an interpreter for uh, the Newfoundland colony before he's brought back to England. And then finally, he's returned back to Pawtucket in 1619 with Captain Thomas Demir, where uh, he becomes a, a cultural broker between the English colonies at Plymouth and the Wapanong leader at Massas Massasoit. And then mm -hmm. there you go. Boom. That's the Pilgrim's Thanksgiving full circle. Thomas Hunt, the kidnapping. You get it. Yeah. And <laughs> Um, so John Smith was pissed off by this uh, when he mm. found out what Hunt actually did. And he wrote back to the colonies saying, quote, notwithstanding upon my, my departure, he betrayed 27 of these poor innocent souls, which he sold in Spain for slaves to move their hate against our nation, as well as to cause my proceedings to be so much more difficult. Mm. So he was just pissed that he made things harder upon the relations <laughs> back there. Yeah. Um, Another backer of the expedition, Sir Fernando um, uh, Gorges. Okay. I think that's how you say his name. Sure. He, he was a proponent of the English settlement and said that uh, Thomas Hunt is a worthless fellow of our nation. Ooh. The reason that they were so pissed is because, like I said, people saw him kidnap him. And they knew who the English settlers were. They knew what was going on. And that had a, a profound and direct effect on the Nassauit tribe in the area. That's the ones that had that hostile first encounter with the Mayflower when they landed right. in Provincetown. Yeah, so yeah. it was this dude's fault that that happened Jesus. in 1620. Wow. This guy is 
causing all sorts of dominoes to fall. Right. Fuck. It's also kind of thrown out there that possibly his expedition may have brought in the plague to the area that destroyed the Pawtucket Indians, but that plague really didn't become widespread until 1616. So it might've yeah. been when he came back and was trading sure. again. Um, yeah. But difficult it, to narrow that down. Uh, but the fact that he is doing the backwards and forwards thing is probably not helping the situation. I'd imagine. So he's at least part of the problem. Yeah. So, he's, yeah. I mean, totally already completely unlikable. Um, from there though, there's really not a lot more that's known or really all that remarkable. He settled in Virginia. Of course, he had a plantation. Of course. Why wouldn't he? In the summer of 16... Yeah. In the summer of 1650, he was gifted some cattle. That was... I found that in the ancestry records because I thought I would share it with you. Um, In 1655 or 56, he died. (laughs) Okay, uh, good. at, At the age of 56 or 57. Sure. And now I know that's this is a super short one and not <laughs> as in depth as I normally go. Mm-hmm. And it's really just me telling you one bad thing about this guy that he did. And what's well, a pretty uh, big thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like this fucker got a parking ticket and didn't pay it. This is like a big fucking deal, you know? Yeah. Yes. He, he basically caused a. The initial problems for the pilgrims on the Mayflower, and um, well, God, he really caused some problems with the relations early on. Yeah, and that's the kind of that's that's where a lot of this is going to get scored. That has a huge knock-on effect in terms of like cultural relationships and viewing of different people. So actions like that no matter how minor they are at the start of two cultures interacting, um, incredibly delicate phases. It colors all of the future relationships between those two cultures. So when you have someone who is so exploitative and has caused so much damage, um, you can say that they are at least partially responsible for future conflicts and incidents because they've laid the groundwork for mistrust and hate and um you know like like Tosoy said in the comments plagues can lay dormant for a while so there's every chance that he's involved in that you know right. so um i don't think it's it's underselling it like first of all taking people into slavery when you're supposed to be trading it's just even though slavery was legal at the time you know the uk and the british government didn't outlaw slavery for probably like another 150 years after this or something there was a whole abolitionist movement and uh, william wilberforce and stuff like that it was it was a big deal in british history and, and a really wonderful period when that finally happened but um slavery was always kind of looked down on but also ignored it was a very british racism in that people would say slavery is terrible it's awful how dare they but actually they would benefit significantly from the slave trade and the profits are brought in the cities like bristol and liverpool would not exist if it were not for the slave trade and you walk around these cities bristol in particular because my wife is a bristolian i walk around bristol and marvel at the incredible neoclassic architecture. And I'm like, oh my God, these pillars and arches of this huge, beautiful building. 
and it's a fucking pizza express or some <laughs> stupid shop like that in it. And you can walk around and you see all of this grandeur and this incredible architecture and the same thing in Liverpool until it was bombed by the Nazis. But, you know, you see all this wonderful architecture and you go, God, you know, that Victorian vigor and stuff. But actually all that money came from slavery. That's the reason these buildings exist in their grandeur is because people had so much money. They're like, I got time and money. I'm going to build the most ridiculous fucking stuff now. So, yeah, it's it's. It's the the layers that you don't you don't mm. really think about. Yeah, and yeah, I think it would be fair to say slavery is awful, but we cannot live without it. Unfortunately, ho ho ho, sips tea. Yeah, that's a fairly accurate description of the British uh, view of slavery. Britain has a very strange relace, relation with racism. You know, we are the the foundational hotbed of. Um, gentrification you know that's been a, a, a huge part and spread throughout the world this isn't an american thing gentrification came from the uk slavery racism that part of your stuff you guys got you took that with you you took that part of our culture <laughs> with you on the mayflower so you know the slavery the enslavement of these these people and then the the kind of the trouble he caused for all of these people, I think gets him a solid 93. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, I, it's just there's something so abhorrent, even 500 years ago, of someone who was just like, I am going to exploit these people in one of the worst ways possible and profit off it. Like, there's, there's no moral gray area with this. That's just disgusting. Yeah, so. it, it really is. And I mean... I guess dumb 20-year-olds, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no excuse in that, like, oh, he was 20 years old. And it's always like it's the same excuse when, like, some, like, famous influencer or something gets accused of, like, they, they someone digs up, like, racist tweets from when they were 23 years old. I was like, oh, I, 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 you know, I was young. I said things like, I'm sorry, but you've, a lot of people have known not to use the N-word for a very long time now. You weren't that fucking young. You weren't that fucking stupid. And, you know, oh, I, you know, I, yes, I enslaved some people, but I was 20. You know, it was a different time. Uh, <laughs> no, it's slavery has been around as long as humanity and the suffering that slaves have been through has been incredibly well documented. So yeah. you, there's no excusing it. You did it to get ahead and you got ahead and you died in a happy place. But history will not remember you kindly. Uh, I'm 18 and I'm not racist despite living in a conservative town he, Johnny, does not get an excuse absolutely agree with that you know, I can understand you know, you meet a child a small child who has grown up in an environment where they haven't been told, you know, not to racially abuse people or seen their parents or, or you know, familial pe members like, say horrible things they're likely to copy that but when you hit like 1920, you have experienced enough of the world and had the opportunity to read enough history and stuff around you to know what the social barriers are. And we know that racially abusing people, slavery, awful. And it would have been the same at this time. So this guy gets a solid 93. I have no problem giving this guy a huge score. I think that's totally fair. Because, yeah, and on top of that, they were supposed to be his friends that he was trading with. Yeah. That's the worst. Like you Who can't does that? Can't trust nobody. No, no. Do if you're <laughs> if your friend 
tells you to get on a boat. Uh, <laughs> like, and they they look like they have some armed people with them and cages and stuff like just. Yeah, it's 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 different, but don't don't trust your your friend when they're like, "Are we going for a a, a voyage? Let's let's all go together." No, this is yeah. Don't, just don't get on a boat with your friends. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a bad lesson. I'm sorry, uh, but yeah, ninety three for this guy. Really, real, really awful. And I was talking to Derek beforehand because um, Derek was saying, oh, "This is an English explorer who enslaved people and and murdered people." I'm like, "Well, that doesn't narrow it down because right. there's a fucking <laughs> lot of them." <laughs> that we're still doing because I I thought it was going to be more recent than that. I thought it was going to be someone from like the 18th, 19th century, but we're talking about the 16th century. We're talking about you know a long, long time ago. Um, yeah, I wanted to be gonna... all Thanksgivingy, you know, all Thanksgivingy. Yes, that is a that is appropriate to Thanksgiving. And it's funny I had this conversation with my wife because it is important to remember the horrible shit that happened at Thanksgiving. But actually, I think the core of what Thanksgiving is now as an outsider who's never experienced it in America is kind of families getting together and experiencing the joy of each other's company, hopefully in an environment where they're allowed to eat and be merry and stuff. And yes, the foundations of that tradition are terrible, but actually I feel like what it has become now is at least decent. And if people can celebrate that, the getting together of families and of being around each other. That's a wonderful thing. The foundations, horrible. Never forget the foundations of it. And as Tosloid said, if you're going to sell someone, maybe sell the really bad people in slavery. Don't sell anyone into <laughs> slavery. <laughs> slavery is just bad. Don't do it. If you if you know bad people and you, you don't want to be around them, just leave them alone cut them out yeah. of your life that's the best thing to do with people who fuck with you and mess you over just like let them go and yeah. do not be part of their lives don't fuck with people that just makes you the bad guy in that instance so speaking of bad guys um and i okay that that was a bit <laughs> of a harsh segue so this guy is not i mean he might be it's hard to know I just I want to say this about the guy I'm about to cover. I have rarely covered anyone in our time doing this podcast who is who has lied so much. And we've covered Steven Seagal, right? And this guy's very similar to him. Steven Seagal's life is a patchwork quilt of bullshit. And yeah. this guy makes him look like he's been telling the truth the entire time because nothing about Frank Dukes's life is verifiable or even true, it's so difficult. And I, I had to spend like four hours today pulling from like eight or nine different sources <laughs> to get the information because he has told so many lies that it is impossible to catalog them. There are multiple different sources for his lies, different avenues, different themes, different colors for his lies, all of them disproved. And there are. I would encourage you to go on YouTube because there's a bunch of videos covering Frank Dukes and his lies. But I would definitely recommend Liar McLiaton for sure. This guy. Like, I would recommend if you want like a, a summation of Frank Dukes's life, and you don't want to listen to this podcast, go and have a look on YouTube. There's a few videos on there. But for now, I would like to talk to you about Frank Dukes and the master of the kung of the martial art of bullshido. Which is, oh, nice! Yes, and the inventor slang. of Daisy Dukes. 
Yes, that's it. Uh, the <laughs> the it, yeah the uh, bullshito is an online term for people who bullshit like the mall kung fu experts who like you can stop a bullet like this or the chi guys who are like i'm going to stop you with this invisible thing and like push you over and stuff like that shit still exists um so frank dukes was born on april 6th 1956 in toronto canada his family relocated from ontario uh they must have moved to ontario um uh i lie all the time quite comfortably well you might be frank dukes then toasty um, so his family relocated from Ontario to Ca- uh, California when he was seven, and he later attended Grant High School. Right. We're now leaving the realm of reality behind, because that's literally the last point at which there's any agreement on what happened in Frank Dukes's life. Basically, the second he turns 16, his life becomes a lie, and it has okay. to be discredited piece by piece. The man is now obviously in his late 60s, so... It's a lot of lies to cover, so I'm going to get to it. Duke states that he was introduced to and trained in ninjutsu, ninjutsu, by Senzu Tiger Tanaka, whom he described as a world-famous teacher and the descendant of 40 generations of warriors. Okay. We have a tapestry of bullshit straight away. So, okay. Um, you, I want to make, also make mention, you're entering the world of martial arts, which, okay. until it was formalized, even like, you go back to UFC 1, there are guys in that tournament who claim to have like had 240 fights and never lost. The world of lies built up around Kung Fu, and it's still being exposed in China to this day by a, a guy who has basically been hunted down by the government, who will fight Wing Chun masters who claim to be able to knock people over with wind force. And he's a trained MMA fighter and just goes in and punches them until they fall over because (laughs) Wing Chun is useless. It's a nice way to relax, but it ain't going to help you in self-defense. So the the world of Kung Fu, a lot of it is founded on mythology and like history, but also a lot of lies. So Frank Dukes is drawing from that and he's built his entire life around it. So, Learning stuff already, man. Yes, you are. And here's (laughs) the next lie. Duke says that Tanaka brought him to Masuda, Japan, when he was 16 to train him as a ninja. We developed a kinship like no other, Duke said of his relationship with his world-famous teacher. When the boy reached 16 years of age, Tanaka brought him to Japan, to the legendary ninja land of Masuda. Duke said in a manuscript he and associate wrote about the ninja and Dukes's role as the modern heir of the great line of black-robed fighters. So we now have a faraway place called Masuda, which doesn't strictly translate to anything in Japanese and loosely translates to a combination of the words for increase, add, or augment, and the words rice field. So bollocks, basically. Um, okay, big rice. But yes, uh, increased rice is is the name of this place. And a panda voiced by Jack Black. Yes, Toast Soy. There's, yeah, that's actually closer to reality than Frank Dukes' life. Um, I'm all of a sudden picturing, uh, what was that one with Chris Farley, the Hollywood oh, ninja or whatever? Yeah, oh, that, that, yeah. Also, more based in reality. If anyone has seen <laughs> Shang-Chi, um, the recent Marvel Phase 4 film where they go to. Um, like a far-off mystical land. That's basically what Dukes is describing here. Um, yeah, 
it's is that close to bullshitter? Yes, it is. It's close to <laughs> bullshitter as well. Uh, pressed in an interview for details, Dukes said that Dukes said he did not know where Tanaka's family is, and said he's not even sure if Tanaka is dead or alive. Even though he said later on, we'll get to it. Tanaka's dying wish was for him to compete in the Kumite. Yeah, so okay. we'll get to that. <laughs> the manuscript states that Dukes' teacher was found dead on July 30th, 1975 and was buried by a ninja clan in California. They have those there. They do have Beverly Hills ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's based off this manuscript. So he's he said in the manuscript that, that, that he wrote that the, the guy's buried in California. Now he says in another thing that he doesn't know if he's alive or dead. He's, I don't know if he's alive or dead, but he's dying wish before we buried him in California. <laughs> yeah, where he's buried in a ninja clan was for me to fight bare knuckle. Um, so let's God. discuss Senzo Tiger Tanaka for a second, this guy that trained him. He almost certainly never existed. Um, yeah, there's, there's almost, uh, according to the LA Times, who did like a full breakdown of Frank Dukes' life and just basically fucking destroyed his credibility. According to the LA Times, no trace of Tanaka can be found in historical texts or even independent martial arts experts. California state death records show no Tanaka dying on July 30th of any year in the 70s. <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, he must have buried him alive, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's about the only way that complete juxtaposition works um told of the findings duke said the man was living under an assumed name so we've now gone from he's buried by a ninja clan in california to he might still be alive to he's living under an assumed name all of those three different accounts have come from the same man and also i want to point out that frank duke said um this is this is from an article about 15 years ago so uh, 2008 let's, let's okay. go with that um, Frank Duke said that um, he was living under an assumed name and he wasn't dead. He also claimed that Senzo Taigo Tanaka uh, fought in World War One, Not World War Two, World War One, which would mean that he would have had to have been 18 to have enlisted in World War One, which broke out in 1914. So he would have been born in 1896. I'm going to need to take my shoes off for this one, but I think <laughs> he's really, really old. I think he's really fucking dead at yeah. that point, if he even existed. <laughs> so, uh, moving moving on to experts, the LA Times interviewed Shoto Tanimura, a Japanese historian who is also one of a select group of recognized ninja masters in the world, an actual honest-to-goodness ninja, this guy, said in an interview with LA Times last week that he'd never heard of Dukes or Tanaka. There is no Mr. Tanaka in Japanese history of the ninja families, Tamura said. This is not to say that Tanaka name has absolutely no meaning. Millions of Americans were first introduced to someone called Tiger Tanaka in the Ian Fleming novel You Only Live Twice, in which Agent 007 befriends a Japanese agent by the same name. He stole it from James Bond. He stole it from Ian <laughs> fucking Fleming. Um, and, and also, just to point out, of all the films to choose from, like, it's a weird one. The, the Bond films at this time go for, like, sometimes they go for cultural um, <clears throat> interest. And this is around about the time that, you know, Hong Kong films were becoming really popular and Kung Fu films. And You Only Live Twice is known for having one of the biggest film sets ever at filmed at Pinewood Studios. It's it's a, uh, a 
um, let me see, a volcano crater that's not actually a crater, but the entire interior of the base was filmed in one soundstage. It's enormous. Um, but also the film is notorious for a sequence where, uh, which was parodied in Team America World Police in Balmorphorization or something like that, uh, where James Bond is undergoes a process to make him look more Japanese. Um, oh. The film is one, it's one of the most ridiculous, uh, racist and sexist things ever committed to film because he also takes a wife who has to submit to him and it's all gross. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so... You Only Live Twice has one of the best film scores ever. You Only Live Twice by Nancy Sinatra. Great song. Also used in a really famous sequence in Mad Men when Don Draper's at bar. Very meaningful sequence. Um, really great staging. The storyline's kind of interesting in terms of the Bond bullshit stuff. Like the, Jap uh, the, uh, the volcano crater base is really cool. But there's so much racism and so much sexism in this film that I can't, I can't recommend it for those reasons it's kind yeah of just mad. watch team america or, or uh, yeah. austin powers you'll get it's the gist of it perfect parody of that so you never <laughs> have to watch it um according to dukes ian fleming used to base his characters on real people too dukes exclaimed when he was asked about so this tiger tanaka guy it's not the guy from james bond right you're not just like you haven't taken mushrooms and you think he's a real person now right who trained you so yeah this guy is just quick on his feet though it's really really it's is like, just shift shit now i've got to lie again um duke said it was tanaka's dying wish that his students go to the kumite an invitational tournament without rules being held in uh nassau bahamas to choose the world's champion hand-to-hand -hand warrior so this is this is the real life blood sport though right the, the john yes, Van Dam. that's right thing. this is where it all comes from Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, be uh, he also must still be alive under an assumed name to have like you know, but he's also still alive. So his dying wish, living under an assumed name, hundred and forty years old, whatever it might be. <laughs> uh, Dukes claims he became the first Westerner to win the Kumite Championship, decided every five years, like fucking Mortal Kombat or something, <laughs> setting world <laughs> records along the way. Here are some of his claims for this period in his life, 1975 to 1980. This is what you okay. find. Okay. From 1975 to 1980, <clears throat> Frank Dukes fought 329 matches and won them all. Um, okay. He retired undefeated as the world heavyweight full contact Kumite champion. That's a fucking mouthful. Uh, How tall James is Bond he? himself was based on Christopher <laughs> Lee, which pretty much proves he was the coolest person to ever exist. Yeah. Yeah, Christopher Lee was up for the role as well because he was uh, the cousin of Ian Fleming. Really weird connections. Christopher Lee's an amazing guy. Um, so, Mr. Dukes also still holds four world records. Fastest, this is all according to Frank, Stu Frank Dukes on okay. his website now. Uh, fastest knockout, 3.2 seconds, which I think might have been beaten by Jorge Masvidal, but I could be wrong with that flying knee to Ben... Askren's head in the UFC. It was like two seconds or something. He knocked that fucker out. Yeah. Um, fastest punch with a knockout, 0.12 seconds. Um, fastest kick with a knockout, 72 miles an hour. That's physically impossible. Um, He's a fucking bionic man. He is. Most successful consecutive knockouts in a tournament. A uh, single tournament, sorry. 56. 
He knocked um, out 56 people in the same tournament? In the same tournament. He's the fucking Wilt Chamberlain of knocking people out, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's like so much head trauma. Holy shit. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> go on, what does he think? Ask? What does he think knockout means, though? Hold on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like maybe like someone falls over and he's like, yes. No, that's a knockdown. That's a knockdown, not a knockout. Um, also, according to Dukes' own website, his first world record, sorry, his last world record, I should say, occurred in April 1993, when after a 13-year hiatus in retirement, with 40,000 spectators and millions watching the telecast, the provable lies, uh, Frank Dukes became the first and only human being to punch through bulletproof glass. <laughs> Come oh on. Yeah. At the International Martial Arts Festival. Festival vibes. Um, <laughs> at Bercy Bercy Stadium in Paris, France. There's literally no records of that anywhere. Well, literally nothing. Interview one of the 40,000 people in attendance. Or the millions who saw it on tele telecast. Whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. Um, I think we had t like live TV at that point. There's no telecast, really. Well, um, I mean, maybe it was just like he had like his Apple Cast and he had it filming on his phone, and he was just casting it to nearby televisions. That, that's in it. The yeah, that's that's what it would have been. Also, like '93. I'm trying to think when Terminator Two came out because I think he saw like psh, liquid metal like that, and he was like, <laughs> "Oh, that'd be a great story." <laughs> like, put this guy. Sorry, put this guy in a room with Shaolin monks and he's not getting out alive. I think they probably let him out alive out of embarrassment, but um, yeah, um, <laughs> it's good lord. I know he punched uh, through bulletproof glass. Get he out of here. Through, he's the only human before or after to have, have done that, okay? According to Frank that's, Dukes, that's an interesting, like, uh, distinguishing thing to say. The only what, what non human has <laughs> punched through bulletproof glass? Someone throw in like. Like animals through bulletproof glass, and <laughs> chucking an elephant through bulletproof glass. Oh, it was the MythBusters when they were shooting turkeys through the bulletproof glass. There you go. That's that's that episode. <laughs> that's so that's so weird. Um, FYI, there are no witnesses to any of these achievements or any of the Kumite tournaments. Literally nothing. Even though it's like an invitation only, and it's meant to be like this underworld thing where people gamble on the winners and stuff. Dukes would say that that's because it's underground and it's dangerous and you know criminals and blah 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 but he himself pointed journalist to someone he claimed was a witness to his achievements in the tournaments and the guy was like yeah 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 no frank oh he's so amazing he's so amazing anyway the la times kept on poking this guy they're like are you sure because this sounds like lies uh, <laughs> it turns out that after a while this guy was like yeah it's all lies i'm frank's student so uh yeah oh. How dumb want... would you have to feel to be that guy's student? I know. Um, sorry, uh, just from Toastalite here. You know who this guy reminds me of? He reminds me of Andrew Tate and all the lies about his life. Yeah. And actually, this is something we should point out about Andrew Tate and Frank Dukes. They're the best kind of liars because they are very smart enough to take a very small grain of truth, the tiniest grain, and completely exaggerate it into like a massive story which is a sign of a very intelligent person in some respects, but also a, a ridiculous pathological liar. Yeah, it's so. just bad. It reels in normal people into being not yeah. evil or not. It 
brings in normal people into being assholes. It does, and usually to sell stuff to them. Because let's yeah. be honest, they're always selling you something. They're always trying like to make vitamins. Money off you. Yeah, <laughs> vitamins, boner pills, kung fu schools, stuff like that in a mall. Um, I want to see him take a hit from Mike Tyson. Then I'll believe his BS. Yes, Kimberly, I think that would work. So anyway, Frank Dukes um, wrote an article. September 1980 issue of Black Belt Magazine entitled Unlocking Power, Keys to Success. And in the October 1980 issue, he wrote an article entitled Self-Defense Against Knives. Uh-oh. He described himself as being decorated for his blade fighting techniques in actual combat in Southeast Asia and as holding black belts in Taekwondo and other arts like finger painting and stuff. Um, he also <laughs> co-authored an article on knife fighting for Inside Kung Fu magazine in 1987. Do not read any of these articles. You will die. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> yeah, like, don't sign up for that class, please. Yeah, uh, just just ignore the knives. Yeah, there's a guy, there's a stand-up comedian, and I've only seen a few of his bits on social media, but he goes to, like... Um, after dinner events and speaking events and like he introduces himself in like a really formal serious way but it comes very clear that he's doing a stand-up routine he shows up in a gi in the full garb he's got like a mustache he's very serious and like he shows you self-defense techniques that are really stupid so he brings like a, a volunteer from the crowd on and gives him like a rubber knife and he's like i want to demonstrate the crevice technique and uh he's like now if so-and-so puts the knife here, like, puts it to my neck. Here's what you do. And then he bends his neck over and traps the knife between his neck and his shoulder. And he's like, and then you just twist, and you've got control of the knife. And everyone's on, in on the joke now. They're like, oh, okay, he's being an idiot. And he's like, and if they try and if they try and hit you in the leg, what you do is you lower your buttocks, you clench, and then you pull out that way. And everyone's like, oh, wow. And he's doing Frank Dukes. He's doing Frank Dukes' self-defense because it's clearly stupid advice, but he does it with a completely straight face. It's brilliant. I don't oh, know God. the guy's name, but I wish I could find that guy. Uh, I'll be looking so... for that later. <laughs> I think it's called the cre either the crevice technique or something like that. The very fact it's called the crevice technique is just amazing. Um, I'm probably going to find something interesting Something first. very different. Yeah, you might end up on a list. Um, so now that we've spoken about some of Frank's crazy kumite lies, let's talk about his military career. Um, oh, yeah. Frank Dukes claims he served in the United States Marine Corps Reserve from 1975 to 1981. He also asserts in his book, The Secret Man, that he was recruited by Central Intelligence Agency Director William J. Casey to work as a covert agent. According to Dukes, Dukes, I keep getting his name wrong, he was sent on dozens of covert missions to Southeast Asia where he toppled dictatorships, which is kind of the opposite of what the CIA does. They kind of install them famously. Yeah, well, that was kind of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it was weird, though, for a second there when you were like, he was in the Marine, United States Marine Corps Reserve. I was like, holy shit, that's boring. Yeah, and then, like, yeah. and then the CIA recruited him. Like, there it is. Okay. There it is. There's the <laughs> embellishment, of course. He also claims that he killed thousands of people, mainly communists. Um, his other feats include destroying a fuel depot in Nicaragua and a chemicals weapon plant in Iraq. He also claims he was awarded the Medal of Honor in a secret military ceremony to keep his identity safe so that he could continue going on missions. But they were like, let's take a break from you blowing up weapons and munitions plants to give you this Medal of Honor. Um, are you going <sighs> to talk to We're not going to tell anybody. Yeah. 
and <laughs> under the whim of the CIA, are you going to topple a dictatorship or install one state? Well, it depends how we feel. You know, we're yeah. going to do a Bay of Pigs or are we going to set up uh, a nation for genocide? Let's see. Um, his military records, however, show he was never sent overseas and has not received any awards. Duke states the military, this is crazy, the military sabotaged his records to discredit him. Why, Frank? Why would anyone do that? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Because, see, what had happened was is that he he knew these techniques that he was going to share oh, with the public, right. and they just couldn't have it getting out, so they had to discredit him, right? They had and to then, discredit him, yeah. that's that. They, he's gone rogue. He's, yeah. he's against the government now. And if they uh, knew what he knew, that they knew he knew you knew. Yeah. See? You see where I'm it's going? It's the danger of knowledge right there and the, the, the death touch of knowledge south america you can have one genocide as a treat yes totally that's that's kind of the the will of cia operatives i think so um his military service apparently uh that was sabotaged to discredit him though dukes did serve this is a point because la times pulled up his military service he did serve in the marine corps reserves however the only record of his service states that he fell off a truck and never left san diego Okay, well, that makes sense. Did he land on his head? Well, maybe. I mean, (laughs) that would answer a lot of questions. That was mean of me. No, but that makes sense. Um, (laughs) So he never left San Diego, never mind the U.S., to go and topple dictatorships. He never left the U.S. Southeast San Diego is where he learned how to knife fight. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Fell off a fucking truck while he was doing it as well. Also in his book, The Secret Man, Dukes has a picture of him. Um... It's just literally him sitting on the ground holding a gun. Down in the trenches in 1983, the three, uh, the .357 Magnum was the sidearm that distinguished the special unit personnel. Um, photos actually a behind-the-scenes photo from the Sheldon Lich's short film Firefight that Dukes was in. Oh, okay. So he, he took just... this behind-the-scenes thing and claimed it was a special ops mission. Okay. Well, that's better than what I thought he was doing. I figured he was just a day at the beach and before they buried him in the sand. It's just like a plastic gun with him. (laughs) Like an orange ring around the end so you knew it was fake. Here, give me that Sharpie and take my picture real quick. Give me that stick. Looks a bit like a gun. That'll do. Um, So, also, Lieutenant Commander Larry Simmons wrote one of the forewords for the Secret Man book and said that he that after reading a few pages, the book he knew had been deceived into lending credibility to a fraudulent endeavor. Um, Lieutenant Commander Simmons had the same literary agent as Frank Dukes and was asked by his agent to write a generic foreword for the book. Um, So Simmons also posed with Frank Dukes for a picture, which uh, they thought was going to be used for publicity. Turns out Dukes featured it in the book. The caption of the photo says, Dukes is talking shop with the SEAL team leader. Simmons denied talking shop with him, uh, adding that Dukes was not an American warrior. He's a con man. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess sometimes you got to be careful who you have your picture taken with sometimes, yeah. huh? Jeez. And also, like, he's a real, like, legitimate <laughs> fucking scary dude. Don't fuck with the SEAL guy who, like, has a reputation to uphold. Why would you do that? Are you well, so it's... deluded that you think you can take him? That's yeah. my question. Well, but it's weird though that like that's like uh the the grain of truth that you're saying mm. right there is yeah. that he's got this picture now with this guy and it looks credible in his book that hey he he's 
you know, dressed up like a military dude talking shop with another military dude who's credibly a military dude. Yep. You don't look any deeper than that. All of a sudden, you're taking a class with some jackass <laughs> crevicing a knife into your neck. Yeah, that cre- crevice, that knife. Um, he was so this obviously, you know, we're getting into the realm of stolen valor here, which people take very seriously, particularly in the US military and stuff. He was accused of falsifying his military service by authors uh, B.G. Beckett, uh, Burkett, sorry, Ralph Keyes, and Nigel West. And his claim to have worked for the CIA, this is where it gets really kind of scary for him was dismissed by the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Robert Gates. Don't fuck with the CIA, man. And this is where he goes also really scary. Another person who discredited his time in the uh, military and with the CIA, Stormin Norman fucking Schwarzkopf. Oh, wow. to weigh in on this guy. Yeah. And Major General John K. Singlobe. Um, and Soldier of Fortune magazine, the entire fucking magazine. When the guy behind Desert Storm calls you a liar, you might have gone too far. Really? Yeah, that's that is an enemy you probably don't want to make. Ask uh, that uh, one guy. Yeah, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf is kind of insane, and I would not want to fuck with him because he's got like he's one of those people that has genuinely scary military ties, like black bag operations and stuff so don't get him angry but we've we've covered the kumite lies we've covered the ninjutsu lies we've covered the military service lies now let's talk about the thing that he's most famous for which is blood sport this terrible film with uh jean-claude van damme so blood sport he was involved in it for real he is fully involved in this film the main character is called (laughs) frank yeah for real for real 100%. those stupid movies are his it's they they <laughs> thought it was real <laughs> oh my god so 19 uh, blood sport is a 1988 american martial arts sports action film i nearly said comedy there but that would have been more accurate directed by newt arnold and starring jean-claude van damme lay sorry lee Ayres, forrest whitaker randomly in there um, Donald Gibb and Bolo Young. The film centers on Frank Dukes, Van Damme, a United States Army capital and ninjutsu practitioner who competes in an underground full-contact martial arts tournament called the Kumite in Hong Kong, not Nassau. You know, not the real one, you know, the fake one in Hong Kong. Uh, go on. I'm really disappointed in myself. I love those movies and I did not put this together until right now. I know. It's amazing. Oh, you wait until you hear the shit that happened on this set. Um, Based on Dukes' real-life claims, the movie was marketed as a true story. It was one of Van Damme's first lead roles and showcased his abilities, launching his career as a mainstream action star for a while, until it like fell off a fucking cliff like five years later or whatever. So... Everybody's yeah. making him do the splits in every movie he's ever in after that. I know, and like his the the amount of B movies that guy made. Um, you know a secret group of ninjas in the US military is a pretty interesting concept. It is, but it's a lie. Um, <laughs> so um the screenplay is based on many of Dukes' claims, uh first covered in the November nineteen eighty issue of Black Belt magazine. The real uh life Dukes served as an action choreographer and technical advisor. Well, I mean, it's based on his his life, so he would have to be a technical advisor, really. Um, right. he, he would actually go on to have a semi-successful 
career as a fight coordinator for other films such as the 1990 film Lionheart and um, the 1993 film Only the Strong. Um, he was probably paid in sandwiches because I've never heard of either of those films. I feel like I've um, seen both of those. Have you? I used to like really bad action movies. I, like, I, I, I used free. to like really bad horror films. I think that was my my thing. So I like those too. Yeah. Go, there's, a, there's something about a good B movie that's actually surprisingly comforting. You're like, I am not going to be challenged mentally in any way in this film. And thank God I'm not because the world is challenging enough. Let me turn off my brain and watch absolute schlock for <laughs> an inordinate amount of time. That's, you know, um, that's the gift that is terrible action films and stuff. And actually, Bloodsport is kind of the quintessential turn your brain off and watch film because it's like paint by numbers filmmaking. There is nothing there other than every cliche and stereotype you can imagine in an action oh, film. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's great. Oh, <laughs> you know, I have to go and watch it now, but I might be just about to ruin this film forever for everyone. Uh, I'll, I'll, just with one thing, and you'll never be able to miss it. Bloodsport was produced by Canon Films and released by Warner Brothers on the 26th of February 1988. Despite mixed critical reviews, shocker, I know that not everyone was fawning over this film. Ebert and what's it? <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, thumbs up, yeah, film of the year. Um, it was regarded, uh, it was a considerable box office success, grossing $50 million on a budget of $1.5 to $2.3 million. Those are impressive numbers. Yeah. yeah. Big money. And Duke's got money out of the back end, smartly, because oh. it's based on his life and his work and stuff. So he got a percentage, like 5 6%. He's set that's, for life. That's solid. Yeah. That hell yeah. Good. For 1988, that's good money right there. So, And they made a full series of these. You know, there are yes, multiple blood sports. They did. And he gets money for every single one. He gets money every single time. So Frank Dukes is able to live a life of utter lies and bullshit based on the success of these terrible films. So I've got to start bullshitting more. You've got to start lying more, my man. Um, <laughs> so the film made Jean-Claude Van Damme into a mainstream star for a while and a prick forever. Um, <laughs> he developed a strong cult following and was cited as an influence on the development of mixed martial arts. This film has had a huge influence on MMA, that and various other things like the Muhammad Ali and uh, Antonio Inoki fight and a few other instances of stuff. But this work of absolute lies influenced MMA, the creation of I it. Could, I could see how that would be, though. Yeah. Like, you want it to be true so bad, you just make it true. Exactly. You, you want a, a one-night tournament to crown the champion of this dangerous thing? Just make it happen and watch people get punched in the dick a lot which is what happened in UFC 1. Um, it developed a... Oh, sorry, I've already got this part. So, um, random thing about this film, and this is where I ruin it for everyone. Um, whenever there's a fight scene, which is like 70% of the film, it's mostly fight scenes. Oh, the yeah. Foley guy, the sound guy, who recorded all of the noise, the background stuff, I don't know where he was recording the background or constructing the background noises for the fight scenes, but it must have been an environment where there was a cat because at various points in the background of this film, you can hear a cat meowing. No idea how it's meant to be in a fighting den in a really horrible grotty environment. And you'll hear people go rah, 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 and then occasionally you'll hear a meow like that randomly. 
You will never not hear it now. Well, now I know what I'm doing this afternoon. <laughs> you go and watch Bloodsport, or go on YouTube and type in Bloodsport Cat Noise or Cat Meow, and you will see a like five-minute compilation of every moment in the film where a fucking cat meows, and it is hundreds of times because they just loop the same audio over and over and over again, and occasionally, like every thirty seconds, you hear, meow. And sometimes the volume's a bit down, so you hear, meow. But huh. it's there, man. Let's see. That's why you can't work from home. I know. <laughs> you get the fucking cat going in the background. Um, despite the film's success, Dukes couldn't help himself and embellished what happened on the set and ruined his working relationship with Van Damme afterwards. On the set, Van Damme and Dukes nearly entered a battle royale on the roof of a building after disagreeing about how a fight sequence should go down. Dukes decides to up the stakes of the fights like uh, that. This is all on Frank Dukes' website, by the way, this sequence. Um, Rather than throwing punches in the middle of the roof, Ducks walk, Dukes walked to the ledge of the 60-story building. 60-story building? It's a fucking skyscraper, yeah. man. What are you... Yeah. Why? And, Where are they? Ledges. Apparently, um, California, I don't think in LA, there's like that many 60-story buildings. It's got to be that big time. round one in the middle of town. Yeah, the LA... What's that, that, that record I'm, thing? i got to look it up. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that many sixty-story buildings in like 1988 LA. That seems a little out there. Anyway, sixty-story building. Van Damme and his entourage show up, and Dukes standing on an I-beam, I-beam, hundreds of feet off the uh, in the air. What's what's a fucking I-beam doing at the top of a sixty-story building? Was it not done? Uh, yeah, is it not done? Is it jutting out? They just left it there and not cut it off? That's a He's waste a of steel. He's a time traveler, and what had happened was is he magically <laughs> transported himself to one of them black and white photos of people building the Empire State Building, and that's, he had a spare one. Yeah, he Good took Jean Claude and his entourage with him and challenged into a fight there. So according, so according to Dukes. He's standing on an I-beam hundreds of feet in the air. Jean-Claude Van Damme and his entourage are a little bit further away, ready for a fight. When um, he's on this I-beam, hundreds of feet in the air, and he, did, he does a jumping spin kick and lands perfectly in the same position. Van Damme laughed, told Dukes he'd made his point, bought him dinner. This is all according to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so fucking stupid for so many different reasons. You're like... It's not one of those things where, okay, the truth is usually when people recount the truth, they're usually quite clear with it. Usually when people lie, they embellish so much embellishment in that fucking story. It's crazy. It's, but like, but it's like, why? So there I am on the roof of John Glad Van Dam, right? A 60 story building. And it's really tall, like 60 stories. 60 stories, Frank. And there's an I-beam. Because it's not done being built. Why? Why is there an eye beam from? Are they hanging? Are they hanging like plants from it? Is it a because decorative I, feature? I needed my spinning kick to be more interesting when I landed it precisely. Yeah. So, so you told the builders to leave that one eye beam so you could impress Jean Claude Van Damme. I drug it up there myself. Ah, there we go. That's how it got there. <laughs> Jesus. It's it's so fucking insane that, of course, it's come from Frank Dukes. Um, so now let's go. The, just We've covered the majority of his like 
major life stuff. I now want to get to um, other random claims and bullshit by Frank Dukes. So Duke says that the reason he no longer has a sword that he was presented with at the Kumite for winning, this is definitely turning into Mortal Kombat now, um, <laughs> is that this, oh my God, this lie. Um, he sold the sword for cash in a failed attempt to buy the freedom of a boat of orphans who had been captured by pirates. And when the pirates... <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. This is what he really claims. Yeah. And uh, it gets it gets even more weird. So, of course, the pirates are like, yeah, you can send us that money. Um, we'll free these orphans. Where's the fucking Coast Guard, for Christ's sake? Anyway, um, so I'm he the sends them the now. money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He sends them the money, no idea how, presumably carry a pigeon or something like that uh, yeah. to the pirates. And they're like, ha ha, you fucking sucker. We're keeping the money and the goddamn orphans, you stupid. <laughs> now you don't have a fucking Kumite sword. Uh, <laughs> so, of wow. course, Frank Duke said, I resolved that situation. I rescued those orphans. Oh, he's Steven Seagal did. <laughs> he's Steven Seagal did. <laughs> oh, and we're about to get Steven Seagal too. Oh, it's so good. He claims that he stopped a plot to assassinate Steven Seagal. Oh. Yeah. He claims that he was approached by someone who offered him $25,000 to kill Steven Seagal, but instead didn't take the money, beat the guy up, and then warned Steven. Oh, God. Did he take the money? Well, no, he didn't take the money. He didn't he take the money. It's too honorable to take the money. He should have took the money after he beat him up, and then he wouldn't yeah. have to honor the deal because he yeah, beat well, him up and took his money. And then it's just this a, is a criminal. Take his fucking money. He's just going to use it for criminality. Take yeah. his fucking money and give it to them orphans because they've been yeah. through enough. Buy your sword back. Yeah, buy your sword back. Fuck the orphans. Buy your sword back. <laughs> Get the Kumite sword. It's got magical powers. Yeah. Um, and the discrepancies in his martial arts history. Um, sorry. He claims that uh, the discrepancies in his uh, martial arts history are the work of fabrications by his rivals, including ninjutsu master Stephen Hayes. So it's everyone else that's lying. It's not yes. Frank that's lying. It's everybody else that's making this bullshit up. Um, <laughs> Frank, so this is, another, this is another moment where Frank has a connection to something and he, ju he absolutely juices it for everything it's worth. Uh, Frank Dukes has made the statements on his website regarding his contributions to the United States Navy SEAL CFC Spec War Manual K-431-0097, which is the year it was written, 1997. Okay. So, in the Spec War community, Frank Dukes is acknowledged as one of the great innovators of modern strategy and tactics, a source contributor in establishing his uh, establishing how paramilitary and covert operations are planned and conducted by elite law enforcement and special warfare military units worldwide today. Uh, that's from his website again. Uh, <laughs> the source contributor in the compilation and creation of the United States Navy SEAL spec war manual, blah, 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 and stuff in use by black ops and special forces personnel worldwide. I think it's usually for Good the U.S. Lord. Navy SEALs, though, right? Why would they be distributing that shit? Yeah. Here you go. Uh, Here's our tactics. You... <laughs> oh, my God. I have a job for him. I know. <laughs> Head of security for this gentleman I know. He really needs it. 
He's got oh, a lot yeah. of court cases he needs escorts to. Oh, that's <laughs> They'd perfect. They'd get along splendidly. Uh, yeah. I have the best <laughs> security. You know, get the best security. Uh, well, while Dukes is actually listed, so you go onto this thing. He is listed listed as a contributor to the 1996 handbooks in the acknowledgement section. Um, according to a source um, who is connected to the manual and who actually worked with Dukes during the training session, Frank taught a very, very limited number of techniques using edged and impact weapons, usually sticks um, that doubled as knives, for his contributions and they may or may not have been used. Basically, he showed up for a seminar. It was garbage, and they didn't use it. But because he took part in the the, the seminar, they had to include him in the acknowledgement section. So it's like how I got my IMDb credits. Yeah, and like <laughs> it's 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 kind of like um, like I can say rightly so in a way that a book I contributed to was uh, an Amazon bestseller. And that was the Inside the Ropes um, first ever almanac of wrestling. My name's been removed. A bunch of names have been removed. It's just three people on there now, three dicks. And they've taken the credit (laughs) for everyone else's work. But I went in and I researched the entire um, history of like three different wrestling organizations, maybe four actually. And I sent that to my editor and it's in the book and I got a contributors thing in the first edition, but everyone's names have been removed now. So I can claim to be an amazon best-selling author but actually what i did was contribute like a bunch of research to this almanac thing that went on to be a bestseller and i didn't even get paid for it i was supposed to get paid 25 bucks for that never got any fucking money that never materialized so yeah that's messed up man that that is messed up they were fucking terrible um so (laughs) um anyway so yeah frank dukes showed up taught a stupid comic relief class and then got an acknowledgement, which he's now spun into. I am like an advisor to special forces all over the world and black ops people and blah, wow. blah, blah. It's like, fucking hell. Man. However, I'd like to end this with a story of a legitimate fight that Frank Dukes was involved with that was witnessed by people who have recant- recounted the story in their own books. So let's talk about the one actual fight that Frank Dukes has ever been in that can actually be proven to have taken place. In 1993, Dukes attended the second annual Draco Martial Arts Trade Show in Los Angeles, where he had a confrontation with a kickboxer named Zane Frazier. Dukes had previously hired Frazier to teach a class for him, though Frazier alleges that Dukes never paid him for the lesson, so he just, like, just, yeah, fucked him off, basically, and... uh, Basically, Frazier confronts Frank Dukes in front of Rory and Gracie, the matriarch of the Gracie family, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu founders, Art Davey, the man who uh, is the person behind UFC 1, so the two people responsible for UFC 1, and someone who most people will probably be a bit more familiar with because he's still active today, Big John McCarthy the foremost MMA referee and the guy responsible for coming up with pretty much most of the rules in mixed martial arts today. Big John contributed to those because there weren't any rules and he he was like, we have to get this all sorted. Anyway, all three of them witnessed this fight and they saw what happened. (coughs) 
and I'm going to tell you now. Um, subsequently, uh, as a result of the fight, <laughs> you can see where this is going, uh, a fight ensued when Frazier demanded being paid. Duke said no. Frazier, um, a fight took place, and Frazier was victorious in under a minute. Uh, no! Undefe- uh, no, the undefeated Kumite master who freed all those orphans. But I pirates. thought Frank was, was going to do a spinning jump kick on a 60-story building to an eye beam. No, he just got the shit kicked out of him. Fucking oh. Steven Seagal's style. He didn't poo himself like Seagal oh. did, but he did get the shit kicked out of him in front of a bunch of really credible people. And it's- as a result of um, Frazier's victory in this session, he was actually offered a position the ultimate fighting championship because they're like yeah you're kind of handy we'll, we'll we'll take you on board let's leave this bleeding prick on the floor shall we uh yeah. duke states that fraser sucker punched him while wearing brass knuckles in contradiction to multiple sources including mma uh referee and man responsible for all those rules big john mccarthy who makes no mention of brass knuckles or sucker punches in his account of the fight in his own book so duke's got absolutely absolutely battered in front of three very credible witnesses. And then he was like, no, no, it was a sucker punch. And he had brass knuckles on. He is a kickboxer. He doesn't need brass knuckles. He has these things called legs that can take your fucking head off from six feet away. So, yeah. yeah. So that's the one fight that Frank Dukes has ever actually been in. And he got absolutely demolished by a legitimate fighter. And I, so. I don't wish anybody harm or anything like that. But when you said that he had the one fight coming with an actual kickboxer, I was like, please let him get his ass kicked. Please let him <laughs> yeah. get his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like, I, I kind of, uh, Frank Dukes is like, he's, he's, there are so many instances out there of him like appearing on chat shows and morning shows where he's like talking about the death punch and all of these like secret techniques. And the man just, he can't stop lying he like there's one chat show and I, I i have a vague memory of it i don't know if i'm imagining it i think it happened where he like he comes on with a random woman on his arm and he's talking about all his achievements and like kind of cemented for me the problem with frank dukes is that frank dukes is an incredibly insecure man who lies because he wants to feel like the biggest most scariest person in every room and it's so staggeringly pathetic that he has to reinforce his masculinity by just lying so consistently for like his entire life at this point. The actually it's kind of sad. So that's the life of Frank Dukes. I don't have a massive update for you. He still pops up every now and then where he'll get interviewed, and the interview is kind of like dance around the fact that he's a known liar at this point and has he he is quite litigious, but. Like he um he sued uh, I think I skipped a huge <coughs> sorry yeah, I think I skipped skipped a huge chunk here so Uh-oh. um yeah let me go back a little bit to this story of um uh the the other films so uh the follow ups to the follow up to Bloodsport made virtually no money they they just sort of dropped off a cliff they were B movie fodder after that um so he um filmed a sequence uh, he he wrote a uh, a, di- a thing with Jean-Claude Van Damme, another script, and um, basically uh, co-authored it. It was a 1996 film called The Quest. Duke sued Van Damme after the film's release for breach of contract on the grounds that the finished film was too similar to the manuscript Enter the New Dragon, which the two had also written. So he was like, this thing we wrote together, you ripped it off. And, well, you fucking co-wrote it with me, dude. Anyway... Is it- 
1998, Dukes lost the case with the jury foreman stating that the jurors found Dukes' testimony less than credible. There's a fucking surprise. Including his assertion that the audio tapes of his agreement with Van Damme were destroyed in the 1994 Northridge earthquake. Okay. I know. Of course Dukes, they were. Of course they were. Dukes appealed the verdict, though his appeal was dismissed in 1999, five years later. That's a lot of time wasted on bullshit. Oh, yeah. Really. Jesus. So, Man. Yeah, he's, he's kind of persona non grata now in Hollywood because like, he's unhinged and lies and sues people. So, yeah, but that's Frank Dukes. What do you think of this Man. person? I, I, I feel bad because I was making a lot of jokes. And <laughs> they all were. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what would lead somebody to to do that sort of stuff. Like almost like they just can't help themselves. But it's it's pathological. Yeah, yeah, and and that for that I feel a little bit bad. But I feel like I went to a, a high school with a guy like that. He mm. fought a bear and punched a shark. And, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> it makes me feel like like sometimes people don't trust some of the stuff I say, like the one time I punched a buffalo, but I was drunk and it was a tame one and it hurt me more than I hurt it. Yeah, you're not going to hurt a buffalo by punching it. And actually, yeah. look, you know, people embellish, you know, people embellish on their resumes, their CVs, like yeah, they embellish about stuff they've achieved <laughs> in life. And, you know, it's kind of part of human behavior to take stuff and weave it into a story. We're all storytellers at the end of the day. Frank Duke take Frank Dukes takes that element of storytelling and just turns it into this tapestry of insane bullshit that nobody in their right mind would ever believe. But the problem is that he started doing it in the 70s and 80s when actually there were a lot of these people around that were lying about kung fu and ninjutsu and all this shit. And people were still believing it, even though it, it's clearly lies. It's almost kind of scary how much bullshit you could get away with before the internet although it's really scary how much bullshit you can get away with now on the internet yeah because people get called out on their bullshit and nothing happens they just yeah. continue lying yeah um gosh i i want to score him really high because he's ridiculous he is he's, ridiculous and but i'm aware he hasn't i mean even though he claims to have he hasn't killed anyone so well just the whole that's a good point by kimberly thing. are we sure he's called frank dukes i'm not convinced i don't know it's i don't a, too know. cool of a name it is it's gotta it's be cool made name. up franklin dukes yeah that movie was awesome and it, it, it actually it i i learned how to do the splits because of that there you go yeah see yeah can't do them and anymore that's not a lie Derek can do the splits. No, and cannot anymore. Not anymore, no, no, no. but Derek could do the splits. I was 12. It was easier yeah. when they had... Before things know. changed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Before the discovery of alcohol and <clears throat> women. Yes, and was, uh, yeah. I, I used to be able to do a full uh, full front flip. Full front flip. Used to oh, wow. Goal celebration when I played football, I could do a full front flip. I can barely run now... <laughs> I have trouble rolling out of bed. Me too. Um, <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> gosh, just because they were so extraordinarily insane, and yeah. he had 
blood sport. He had him fooled into believing, and he got his name into the seal book as a contributor. That's some Which cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's um, a really good contributor. I should point out that the script writer for um, Bloodsport, um, who did the movie that he made in 1983 as well, he's worked with Frank Dukes a number of times, and the guy's like, he's like, I know he's full of shit, but it makes me money. So... <laughs> You gotta do what you gotta do, you know. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think it's fair because he, this was so entertaining and I laughed so hard and had such a good time. I think it's fair that Frank Dukes, um, I think I think I think a ninety is good for him. He's he's an A hole. Uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> he's an A giant A hole. Yes, for sure. I feel like Frank would actually like that because he's like oh yeah i'm ranked highly <laughs> on this scoreboard and like he wouldn't say what score chart it was this one podcast gave me a score of 90 out of 100 and there's yep. only like five or six people ahead of me and he wouldn't mention that like one of them's elizabeth holmes and fucking new jack and shit like that like <laughs> well and i really like that his uh ninja master's dying wish that he doesn't know if he's alive or dead but before yeah. we buried him he said he wanted <laughs> living under an assumed name even though we buried him and he wanted his dying wish and ninja clans in california and what the fuck that's man? That, is, that is some matrix type dodging of truth in one <laughs> damn book i know like and the problem i got i guess is that he's been stupid enough to put his stuff in print so once you do that once you publish an article or write a book called you know the secret man it's basically like that that's your account of things and if you change it later you lose all credibility so yeah you've kind of got to go back and reference your old bullshit if you're gonna much. bullshit yeah it has to be good bullshit because it has to last a lifetime and unfortunately we now have the internet and it's all disprovable and freedom of information act exists yeah. so yeah um it, it, it's a fascinating story frank dukes is a really weird guy he's still alive i highly recommend you go and look on youtube there's a number of videos about like fake martial arts guys and liars and specifically frank dukes um his master is an ai i mean i, I feel like his work is the kind of thing if you were to ask um a generative ai to write a story about a man who was like a CIA operative and he was in like the army and the special forces and he fought in Kumite. I feel like the story, the insane rambling story it would come up with would be Frank Dukes's life because it's so unbelievable that it's basically like the ramblings of a lunatic. Maybe he point. is AI. Maybe, Maybe he's fucking Skynet and that's how he put his his fist through the... Yeah, that's it. Liquid metal. Yeah, he's... <laughs> He's the universal soldier. That's why he got on so well with Van Damme. <gasps> no. Uh, now we know. Yeah. There's. Uh, oh, sue him. Sue him, Frank. He he stole the idea from you. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. Frank Dukes. A solid 90 for Frank Dukes. And remind me who your guy was. Uh, Captain Thomas Hunt. Tom Hunt. Wow. Yes. That's, that's actually, that's my boss's name. Uh, Is it? Yeah, don't look him up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's a nice guy. This th this Captain Tom Hunt, not a nice guy at all. Um, yeah, slavery and stuff, really awful things. So 
really interesting episode that I had so much. It took me hours, but I had a lot of fun looking at Frank Dukes because when I think I found all the lies, I find another article and like something from his website, and I'm like, oh my god, there's more. What? Why? <laughs> Do you not sleep or something? Um, so yeah, it, it's very difficult to pull all of Frank Dukes's lies into one place, and I'm sure I've missed a bunch. But yeah, that's that's as comprehensive as you're going to get, really. So it's, yeah, well, when when you got to try to weave and bob as much as he he's doing, yeah, really, you can I am... tell a few stinkers, and we're going to try and catch him. But yeah, and also the, uh, I guess it's it's interesting that a man who Frank Dukes did basically nothing with his life, really. You know, if you look into it, there's very little of that. It, basically, his life is a lie. And if it weren't for the lie, he would have lived a very unremarkable life. Um, there's a lot of documented information about him online, whereas someone who was directly involved with an act of slavery that caused significant damage to the American psyche and the relationship with Native Americans, there's very little documented about their life. Yeah. Wait, isn't it? He just, he just had that one and done, kidnapped uh, to Squantum and got him to learn English so at least he could sort of help later. Wow, it's it's so crazy how how people's lives are documented. But yeah, um, I, I had a lot of fun doing that. And Derek, thank you for like emphasizing the English Explorer thing because I may move on to a different English Explorer of my own. There's um, tons to choose from. There's plenty to <laughs> choose from. Um, so thank you all so much. If if you would, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode and you would like to support us, you can. Give us a follow and subscribe on the various platforms that we produce these on. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, even YouTube, you can give us a follow. If you would like to contribute a little bit of money to help make our lives so much easier, go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and join Kimberly and Andrew and Jesse, our amazing patrons over there and contribute there. Um, we have a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff. We have a bunch of scripts. We have a bunch of stuff about our lives on there as well. Please go ahead and follow us on there. There's a load of cool stuff. Oops, sorry. Um, <laughs> and if you want to um, follow us on social media, you can go to at Greatest Idiots on uh, Twitter slash X and at History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram. And also, if you go into uh, the description of this episode, if you're listening to it, You'll find connections to mine and Derek's social media if you'd like to follow us individually on there as well. You can find our link trees and find all of our happenings on there. Um, thank you all so very much. Will it, for those of us watching live, we're going to be doing another one of these tomorrow because we're yeah. starting to ramp up for Christmas so that we can have like a nice long break. So we're doing a bunch of these back to back. So, uh, Kimberly Toasterzoid, if you are both around, we'll be recording another one around about this time tomorrow. So stick around um, so until tomorrow, potentially, or whenever you're listening to this. It could be months later. Who knows? Time is completely cyclical. Uh, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. And we will see you all very soon. Take care now. Bye. <laughs>